Hello everyone, uh, welcome to Retour. If you are returning, welcome back. And if you're new, thank you so much for coming. Um, this is our third of our virtual Retour series um, and it is UK part two, which has been supported by BCO. Um, over the years, as you'll, as you'll have just seen, we've had two live events cycling all over London uh, in 2018 and in the pouring rain in 2019. Um, and this year we've taken Retour virtual. Uh, this is a series of webinars uh, which kicked off covering London and we have now been able to widen our view. We've already had one webinar that focused on the UK, but as we found out, there's just simply too much to fit in. And so this is part two and is the third of a five stage tour with following with the rest of the world and then Europe. So if you have any thoughts about projects for the future sessions that you'd like to see, please contact us and there will be a link at the end. Today for this stage of the UK, we have a panel of three guests from Barton Wilmore, four partnerships and Active Commuting Limited. For those of you who have attended previously, it's going to follow a slightly different approach and we're changing it up. And Neil Webster, who many of you will know, um, who has led the way on active travel in Remit Consulting and been a spokesperson for cycling throughout the industry, is going to be chairing a panel and conversation with our guests. The rest of the team are still here and George Halen, Sarah Waller, Sarah Raid and Andrew Barber have all been working diligently on the series in the background and you might see George and Sarah pop up um, in the chat or managing the polls throughout. Speaking of, if you have a Q&A, we will be asking questions throughout the session, so please pop them in the Q&A section at the bottom and there is a mug up for grabs. The best question will get a retour mug, so uh, please get your questions in and we will pick that at the end. If you do tweet, there is a hashtag retour cycle. Please feel free to share it with your friends and uh, let everyone know what interesting things you're doing this evening. And we are intending to finish at six o'clock. So without further ado, I'm just going to introduce our panellists. First off, we have Jenny Montgomery from Barton Wilmore. Barton Wilmore is the largest independent planning and design consultancy in the UK. And Jenny's role looks to identify market challenges and growth opportunities, as well as collating learning and sharing best practice. Uh, one of the key areas that Jenny's been working on is the development and delivery of Greenkeeper, which is a new tool for the built environment sector, which helps give a better understanding and valuation of urban green space in terms of their economic, environmental, and importantly, the social value that they deliver to the local communities. Alongside Jenny is Aurelien Collignon, and Aurelien is an associate director at Four Partnership. Four is, a, four is a forward thinking real estate investment platform that champions sustainability and social impact within the built environment with a view to driving long-term uh, change in outcomes. Four is actively managing over 600 million euros worth of real estate in the UK and across Europe. And Aurelian heads up portfolio management, sourcing and structuring real estate transactions and seeing them throughout the life cycle of the properties. I'm also very excited to have Four here because they're one of only four real estate companies that are certified as a B corporation within the UK. Last and not least, they're joined by Andrew Reichton, who's a keen cyclist and was frustrated by a lack of cycling provisions in the built environment. And in 2014, Andrew took matters into his own hands, setting up his own company, Active Commuting Limited. By applying modern modular construction solutions to traditional real estate issues, Andrew's been able to provide end journey travel plan solutions to the active travel community, be that cycling, running or even scooting. And the aim is for these facilities to become embedded in the transport infrastructure, creating a network of active commuting hubs. So with everyone introduced, I'm going to hand over to Neil um, and I look forward to seeing all of your questions in uh, the box at the bottom. Uh, thanks, Melissa. So yes, uh, Melissa's going to pick up any questions that you throw in, and we may even pick them up uh, early on rather than um, rather than later. 
Um, so this feels to me like having three people round for dinner who love real estate and love active travel. So I'm very much looking forward to this as well. Um, so I don't know if um, we could kick off um, Jenny, um, if you just give us a sort of few insights as to you know, the input and the uh, importance of active travel in the early stages of developments in the sort of planning stages. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. Um, I think it's a really interesting challenge at the moment on the back of uh, everything that's happened with COVID and, and, and where everyone sits, uh, and I'm sure we'll come on to it. But I think one of the key things that we're finding, um, we we're a planning and design consultancy working across the UK on all sorts of different projects, um, all different scales. And the key at the moment is, is that planning legislation only moves so quickly. Um, and invariably there is a big lag time between um, published legislation and really where, where communities and where society is. And so we can't really wait for, for planning to lead the way on this. It is, it is trying and it is trying to do lots of things, uh, things like tactical urbanism and driving things that just happen overnight. And, but it's not the fastest moving system. Um, and so we have to find ways, you know, it's a little bit, um, we had a discussion when we chatted before as a, as a group about chicken and the egg. Um, and, and the planning system is a, quite a reactive tool. So we have to um, think about how we can drive things proactively on all our schemes. Um, Jenny, and Jenny, can I just go back to that phrase, tactical urbanism, if you don't mind, because I think yeah. some people might understand it and some might not. So um, what do you mean? So tactical urbanism um, is when we just changed the, lands the street landscape, for example. Um, so there's been a lot more of this in America than we've seen over here, if I'm quite honest. But um, there is, it is starting to happen here and, it, and it's exciting. And it, and it happened during the first lockdown, which was great. It, and it's slowly picking up pace. But it's basically when you shut off streets, when you change the way we use urban environments because of, you know, potentially at the moment, because of the temporary environment change, environmental changes that we're seeing. But also because we can see that we want to accommodate more cycling. We want to just try something. So, um, so we're trying to shut streets. We're changing surface paint, like surface um, finishes. We're maybe making a street into just a cycle street or your low traffic neighborhoods in London. Um, they were more planned, so they're less tactical. But um, in America, New York, for example, you're seeing streets change overnight to just try something different and, and see what happens. And what's really exciting about it is it, it doesn't get stuck with the need to consult and the need to debate and and, 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 and fight about something. It's more about, let's just try it. If you hate it, we'll take it away. If you don't, it might work and, and it could change your life. So, or at least change your street. Um, and what so examples in the UK, Jenny? Um, there's been a few. So I know that Oxford's doing a few where it's blocking, it's been blocking off streets and trying different things. A lot of it looks a little bit, um, a little bit crap, a little bit like we just shoved the bollard in the way and now you can't drive down that street. Um, but the idea that just testing it and see how people feel um, has worked in some in some places really well. I know it's worked really well in Oxford where there's restaurants and stuff were able to pour out onto the street over the summer and things like that. Um, I think the main ones that I've seen that have been really successful have been in New York where they, they, they do look really good. But I mean, there's plenty of people on this call probably who've tried, tried uh, are aware of other, other good examples as well. And do you regard things like parklets and the like as tactical urbanism? Um, yeah, or, absolutely. Or do, or do they need consent? Mm, yeah, they probably do. They, yeah, more so. I mean, I'm not a planner, so I'm not about to go into what doesn't doesn't need a doesn't doesn't need consent. But um, but yeah, they'd probably be a bit harder to deliver. But I think 
just trying to think of our streets more holistically. Um, I think that's what tactical herbalism really does. It makes you think about how you use it that, so it's not complete car domination all the time. It's not all about segregating different uses. I mean, the example I've, I've got, if you want me to show you, is, is very much about how you can have a very much a shared space um, that allows, um, that encourages cars to slow down, but allows everyone to, to move and use space in a slightly different way. Um, oh, that's yeah, not please do, show us, show us. Yeah, um, I think George has got my slides for me very kindly. So the example I'm giving you isn't, um, oh, where are you starting? You're, you're halfway through, George. Hopefully, anyway. I'll try flicking on the slide, see what happens. It'll work in a minute. So this example is um, an urban regeneration scheme we've been working on. So not so much the commercial accommodation, but an urban regeneration scheme in, in Salford in Manchester. It's a really um, contentious site in that it's it's been in um, planning for, for years and years. It's a 70s estate regeneration scheme, um, which you can see on one of the slides if we can get them to work, but I don't know if it's going to. Um, Anyway, it's, it's, it's quite a difficult one to, to make work, but what was really obvious from the moment we looked at it was there was a, there was a great opportunity to join up um, cycling infrastructure across it. It's in the middle of a 70s estate, so it's big, wide, horrible roads. Um, some of them haven't even got pavements. Um, and we worked on it as planners, designers, landscape designers, and we're looking at bringing in, shame I can't show you the pictures, but bringing in um, infrastructure that is a shared space. So it's not just it's not just shared space though. I think there's been some um, some negativity about that in the press of late. It's a cycle street, so it allows a lot more combined kind of activity. So cars cars are there, bicycles are there, pedestrians are there. Um, you change the surface uh, treatments to try and help people understand that it is a different kind of environment, but also a shared street, a, um, a cycle street. Sorry, allows you to bring the street much closer together. So you're not, you've not got this massively wide um, pedestrian cycle, car, car, cycle, pedestrian. You can bring it much closer together and make it make a street feel far more domestic. You can't really see from these pictures, but um, maybe we'll come back to it in a second. Don't worry, Jane. Um, so you, this is Salford, yeah, you say? This is Salford, yeah. And yeah. so is this part of the whole sort of Greater Manchester B-Lines type of initiative or was this Salford's? And your initiative beforehand? Pre, yeah, it predates all of that because the, the Boardman stuff's um, coming through slowly um, and is really exciting for Manchester. This kind of, um, this, this site's been around for so long, it kind of predates it, but it's, there's been a good chance to kind of revisit it and relook at it um, in the last 12 months while we've been working on it and, and look at how it can better knit into the existing infrastructure that's there and the infrastructure that's proposed. But I think what's really interesting is how quickly you, you can get into the local authority if you're going in there with a positive message about active travel, um, particularly in those local authorities that have um, zero carbon um, ambitions and those local authorities who um, have a challenge with um, inequality and health and well-being, which um, Salford certainly does, and particularly on this estate. So you're able to open that conversation up a lot quicker if you're going in with a very positive kind of, we're gonna help drive and help support your active travel ambitions um, through whatever we're going to produce. And that allowed us to then negotiate quite a lot of changes and quite a lot of um, uh, variation from previous um, permissions that have been granted on that site because, because we were able to offer them something of far more benefit um, to sit alongside it. 
and and it's it's made it a lot smoother through the planning process. So I think it's worth thinking about how how you can engage in those conversations. So I'm glad you brought that up, Jenny, because we had a, a poll question which um, Sarah could put up, which is almost asking that question, which is you know in relation to you know active travel and the, the planning process. So you've raised it. Maybe we'll put that out to the participants while you uh, continue on, and I'll just sort of um, reference it when we're finished. But um, there we go. Um, you know, please do um, give us your views that you know, relate to you know, very much what Jenny's just said there. But go on, Jenny. I might even bring Aurelian in, actually, if you don't mind, um, yeah. without going into the, de the detail from a four point of view. But how much do you support what um, Jenny's just said, Aurelian, given you know, this sort of quote about sort of not easing the planning process, but certainly making the conversation easier? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, yeah, everything everything she said, whatever Jenny says, I'll, I'll support. Um, but uh, absolutely, you know, there's a lot of things that actually have been, have been mentioned already. Um, and, you know, hi, everyone. And thank you for having me, because this this is a discussion which is a, a probably a, has more depth than what maybe most people can can think. Um, planning, you know, planning process is probably the kind of the layer that people get. Like they think, OK, if I do a scheme which has you know, the right amount of cycling racks and kind of the right access. And if I, if I kind of play, play ball with the local authorities, I'm going to have um, a smoother, um, you know, way through to my consent, which is absolutely true. Like, you know, there is, there is a clear cut, like there is data, there is everything, there is our own experience at four, uh, which can demonstrate that, you know, we, we definitely get a, a different um, uh, reception when we, uh, when we push the door to the, the planning department, the council, and we introduce ourselves and we say, you know, this is us. Like, let's not talk about necessarily massing straight away because developers love to talk about, you know, the, the number of stories and how high they're going to go and the square footage, which is which is absolutely, you know, vital for the economical viability of the appraisal. Absolutely. But when you start to engage about, you know, what is the, the council uh, trying to achieve? How do they actually go about thinking about mobility? What are the challenges? Uh, this straight away with ties ties in with sustainability and social um, aspects of what they're trying to do every day. I mean, this is a, you're pushing on, up, on, an, on an open door. So, um, you know, we've got, a, we have an, a, an asset um, we're, we're building up in, uh, in Glasgow. Um, and um, we started to have discussions about, you know, the COP26, which is, is due to, to be held in Glasgow this year in November, um, whether that's going to happen or not, you know, our discussions, maybe that could be postponed sadly, but, um, and then we started to have discussions with the, the Scottish government and uh, they were trying to find places just you know, to organize events in town and without you know, knowing specifically looking for um, buildings which were um, having values and ethos and visions. But when we started to say, OK, this is CADWorks, this is our building, this is what it does, this is the amount of you know, facilities that we're going to have, these are the social organizations that we work with already. I mean, they were absolutely delighted. They came back to us the day after, and we we're trying to do something which is going to be very special in that building now for COP. Um, I mean, I've got a bit more. I've got a few few things that I've put on slides. Um, we'll, come, we'll come back to that. And I was just trying to sort of make the link between you and, and what Jenny was saying. So to sort of yeah. take it back to Jenny, with the support you've got there of Aurelian for what you said so far, are there particular places other than the sort of example in Salford that, you could reference as sort of examples that you know prove the point or lead on to you know a wider a wider discussion. 
Yeah, I think there's some really exciting stuff going on across a number of cities within the UK already. Um, I think, well, through our work on Greenkeeper that Melissa very kindly referenced at the beginning, we're working with a number of cities on their green infrastructure plans and how they can better understand their green infrastructure portfolios uh, in terms of the health and well-being that they're delivering, but also how they're connected and how they allow immersion in green. So the idea that you could do your whole travel to school or your whole travel to work through green space um, and then put a value on that to understand the social value it's delivering. But, um, but through that, we've had engagement with some really exciting cities like Plymouth, who's massively going for it. They want to be um, a net zero and, uh, and uh, I can't remember what they've called it, but basically reducing everything right down. And they're very ambitious about it and they want a full citywide green infrastructure plan set up, which is quite exciting. Um, and so they're heavily um, driving active travel as part of that. Similarly, in Coventry, where you've got a cycling mayor, I mean, you've got a great, great, invariably where you've got good leadership and good ambition. So that's why Manchester's flying so well, because you've got you've got Andy Burnham and, and Chris Boardman going for it. So there are plenty of places and a number of London boroughs that are trying different things. I think, you know, the low traffic neighbourhoods have come in for a lot of flack, but they've you know they're, they're trying different things which is really important you've got to try these things and see what see what the problems are and London is leading the way with some of the some of the cycling infrastructure design manual stuff that it has and, and the ideas that it's got so I think there's yeah there's some great stuff happening um across a number of towns and cities but I definitely zero in on the yeah the net carbon cities the ones that are most driven by all of this really at the moment aren't they understandably so you, you referenced Plymouth, so I'm aware that they've got this mobility hubs um, uh, initiative on at the moment, which does have an aspect of um, e-cars as well as about sort of micro mobility mm. about, uh, as well. But I think what you said almost sort of um, uh, <laughs> adds more to our, our second one when we were saying there's more of this around now. You know, this seems to be you know, norm, norm, it seems to be the norm actually travels part of real estate development. You know, it, it, it used to be perhaps that it was, you know, fitting in a few cycle bays here and there in a building. And now it's mainstream in the front end of development, which is, you know, the question I'd ask you right at the start, really. Yeah, definitely. I, and I, and right, rightly so, really. I mean, there was a really good article uh, this week about, you know, how you have to, we can't let electric vehicles dominate the discussion around reducing our carbon footprint. There has to be both and it has to, we have to try and accommodate as many modes of travel as we can, really. Um, and the active ones are the best ones for us in so many different ways. So, yeah, and I think getting that up front in your discussions is absolutely paramount, definitely. Yeah. So I think I hadn't looked at it. I just looked at the questions and I think we've answered one of the questions without actually seeing it yet, which was my question to you about the beelines and, um, and Manchester and, and Salford. So Yeah, I think it, that, that all of that stuff is emerging really well out of Manchester. It's really good. So, yeah, this will connect into that infrastructure um, and will be an added benefit to it as well. Um, yeah. But it has a particular resonance with the local community in that estate, which it is is what actually was the tangible kind of move for Manchester City Council, or Salford, sorry, um, in, in supporting it. Yeah, and, and for us, you'll make a nice link back to the previous uh, session when we had Media City um, on, um, talking about the, the, the cycle hubs there. So uh, thanks for the moment, Jenny. We'll come back to you, obviously, as we discuss. And um, really, we brought you in already in relation to um, you know, supporting that view about the active travel support. I wonder if you could just take us through... <laughs> A few things across the country given that you know you're not a one-trick pony in one town or one city 
yeah. um, and some of the sort of um, issues that you've um, dealt with and faced and um, tried to achieve? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. I mean, I've got to, if you allow me to maybe share my screen, because I think that's going to help putting a little bit of context around the, um, some of the things that I'm going to talk well, we about. Won't, we won't take a vote. I'll just say yes. All right. That's good. <laughs> uh, that would work, isn't it? Mm -hmm. There we go. Um, so just to talk, yeah, just to put a little bit of context around, um, you know, full partnership and the type of projects that we we do, and and why why does this is relevant to us, and and why would that be relevant for any developer? Um, four is is um, as Melissa mentioned, we've we've, we've got about uh, six hundred million um, um, of under under management currently, which uh, you know we're we're um, we're not part of the kind of huge machines out there, but we like to think we're not. Um, too small, so we start to have a portfolio where um, um, we can we can steer and and have an impact on um, on what we what we do. We've got uh, mainly offices, a little bit of um, um, residential, alternative residential. So the living sector right now is uh, is quite is becoming more important for us, a key area of focus. Uh, and we've been doing investments about uh, a million square feet over the past ten years in the UK and Germany as well. Uh, and the, the, what we really focus on is that everything we do, although it is, you know, it is bricks and mortar and, and I'm a, a construction engineer by background. So I think that's really where, you know, I come from, kind of put a, a wall up and make it better. Um, we always have this length of sustainability uh, and uh, ESG, like the wider ESG considerations or so social elements as well for us is really, really key. So um, I am not a cycling specialist uh, i think uh, we do talk about mobility as a whole it's one theme for us and it's part of a wider system so it's much bigger than than just just that um and um what is our vision our vision is really that we're going to be able to drive um a, a, low, a low carbon world um through um, the leverage of what we have which is really property so the built environment uh, to, to, to drive that kind of carbon agenda. So we committed to be net zero carbon by 2025 as our, as our own business for partnership, but also across, um, across the portfolio. Um, we've become effectively, as, as, um, as you mentioned before, B Corp um, certified, so which is something which is, goes again just beyond just mobility or just a portfolio. It's really looking into how businesses are behaving, how they structure to make sure that they have the right governance. Um, and we have a few things. So as I said, UKGBC, we've, we've committed to the net zero target and ritual first, which is for us trying to improve what's already there in terms of infrastructure rather than start again and build um, again in order to, to, to tackle the carbon, uh, the, the carbon agenda. Um, some of the uh, sustainability achievements that we have, so you can see that some of these credentials are well known, others a bit less, but we think about you know, sustainability, energy consumptions, uh, but also design, new technology, connectivity, so where it's core. Um, Briam, of course, uh, and then at, at the uh, the bottom of, of the slide here, you can see that this is much more into um, thinking about the the impact that our projects would have on the local community. So we, before we start, we like to spend a little bit of time. When I say a little bit of time, I actually mean a lot of time. Um, understanding who lives there, who works around in the area, we meet with the council, we meet with the business owners, uh, retailers, just to understand what are the challenges that they have, because we're going to come and you know, have a kind of big plot of land and then we're going to do something with it. We're going to refurbish the big building. So what are the themes that we need to tackle? And mobility fits, you know, right into some of these schemes that, that we have. 
Um, so you can see that we have a, a partnership with Brompton, for instance, uh, Swifty scooters or Soul Riders. These ones are right, right um, into the, the kind of mobility in the sense of bringing that community back to um, uh, active travel to allow them to uh, you know, make the healthier choices, but also get back into work. So there is always a, an outcome which is targeted. Uh, and then I've, I've, uh, I've mentioned the, uh, the COP26 in, in uh, Glasgow, which is kind of our key focus right now across the portfolio, one of them. Uh, this is CADWorks. So this is our project called CADWorks. It's a uh, 100,000 square feet of kind of office. Um, and, um, and then when you look at it, it's, it's obviously kind of a pretty standard building. Um, so what we wanted to do is design it from the inside out to make sure it was addressing all the things that um, the local the local area, but also the local authorities, the council, and our future occupiers would demand and need. Um, so CADWorks, in a nutshell, will achieve BRIAM, you know, well and worse core EPC. I'm not going to you know, dwell on that, um, but it's going to have a really active basement area and a reception area as well. With um, we spend a lot of time designing around the, the cycling facilities there, um, so you've got quite a lot of uh, cycling racks, for instance, which are different kinds as well. So above what the BCO guidelines would be, but also lockers, which are USB lockers. Um, you've got um, some high quality showers, iron boards, and uh, you've got stretching areas. So if there's everything you need to make sure that people can have the choice to at least say, okay, I, I can definitely now. Uh, either run into the office, I can I can cycle into the office, um, and there are some other things as I mentioned because it's part of a wider system. So we are working on biophilia. We've got a, a large green wall in the reception area, which which gives a lot of um, uh, a lot of benefits to um, to occupiers as well. The technology, so smart meters everywhere in the building, so that we know exactly how the building works, um, and so on and so on. So again, mobility for us is part of a, a wider. A wider system. So this is this is the type of um, uh, of facilities that you would have. It's this this is the, the first kind of uh, cycling ramp. So from the street level, you know, automatic door will open. You don't need to you know put a foot down. You just whiz your way through into the building. It's the first one in Scotland. But for us, this is you know this is kind of common sense. This is you know fun. This is the right thing to do. And this 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 is really a, a key appeal for occupiers as well. Um, uh, and then don't make it necessarily like a boring afterthought that you sometimes see at the back end of a, you know, around the air, the, the corner, the, the back of the, the basement, that, that this is not good enough. But again, we can come back on these features because the outcome, the aim for us is not to put cycle racks in a basement. The outcome is to allow people to, uh, to make healthier choices as well. Um, the rest of the building is going to look interesting as well, but... Um, uh, this is really what um, uh, what uh, what what is needed for occupiers in terms of corporates. Now they need to make sure that there is a, some flexibility in the way they work, some flexibility in the way they get to the office, uh, and and their staff will demand that. I think I mean I've got you know personal anecdotes as well because as for partnership we changed, uh, we moved offices, so we have been on the hunt looking for options. Um, and uh, and I know how critical these facilities would be. I know that Andrew was the same when he was um, when he was kind of looking for his ne next move at some point in his career. And you know, the cycling facilities can can just be the, the one thing that make a, a decision um, uh, go in the right direction. 
as a as a developer. Uh, and then uh, finally, just uh, this this is also CadWorks. So this is the upper floor of, of CadWorks. So it looks you know it looks great. This is a, this fantastic view. Uh, there's a lot of light, but this is not what it's about anymore. Uh, so I think this is what it was about as a developer for the past you know you name it 10, 15, 20, 50 years, whatever. Uh, 600 by 600 grid, you know, suspended ceilings, raised floor, everything is, is, you know, works well. But occupiers are not interested into that anymore. They're going to pass that on to their technical team and no one's going to get excited about, about that part of the building. So you need to think about what's happening at the top, you know, rooftop, um, what's happening in reception, what's happening in terms of your uh, facilities, shared amenities, flexibility, because that's not going to get you to let the building or it's not going to get you to get your planning consent much faster. Um, so yeah, so that's the little bit of the the kind of the, the, the context. Thanks, Aurelian. I think um, it'd be quite good, um, Sarah, to share the results of that uh, first poll at this point. And actually, we've got two or three great questions uh, to come on. Um, so uh, I think that result suggests that um, there is definitely a good correlation, and that um, it's just a degree to which that correlation exists. Um, with only is it. It's three percent sort of here saying saying not at all. So um, I think we should all be sort of um, you know, grateful for that sort of um, result from the, from the poll. Um, so I, actually, in order to bring Andrew in without actually Andrew doing you know, sort of his presentation, so to speak, at the moment, I'm going to ask one of the questions um, so that um, I've got a, yeah, potentially an answer from each of the three of you. But I'll, um, I'll let Andrew have a warm up and and go last. So um, from Erland here, it's um, is there a correlation? around possibly wild summarizers supply and demand. So is a correlation between local authorities, mayors, planning policy, all of that sort of supply piece and what the user demand is, i.e. suggesting Oxford, Cambridge, Manchester being higher demand areas. Um, and likewise, is there a, you know, an opposite correlation as well? Is it, are we getting the supply in the places where the greatest demand is? If, Jenny, you'd like to go first because you're off mute, but um, if we took it, Jenny, Aurelia and Andrew in that order. Um, yeah, I think I think it just happens naturally that that's the way it goes because the, they're, the, they're the locations where you have the lobbying groups and you have the power from the people to kind of drive that um, that change and that change of habit. I mean, I live, in, I live in Reading and there isn't a huge cycling culture here. There isn't a huge amount of provision. Um, and it is kind of swaying onto James's question below. Actually, it is it is a battle um, to, to to deliver some of these tactical urbanism responses that they'd really like to do, because there is such a volume of negativity towards it. So it's I think the, yeah I, I feel like there is definitely a correlation. Um, obviously in Cambridge and Oxford where there is a huge a much larger use of cycling and and, and active travel. Um, but it shouldn't be the case really, should it? But I think it's just the volume and that's why you've got to kind of make that noise as developers and, and property to property sector ourselves, I think. So I agree with you, Jenny, um, let's call it a strategic level. So at a city level, mm. perhaps, and we'll come on to Raleigh in a minute, but you could argue something like, and I've mentioned this before, you know, Kensington High Street, where you've got a huge amount of sort of local demand. It seems to have been thwarted by a minority of interests. Mm. Um, so perhaps, you know, in answer to Ellen's question, yeah. Yeah, yes, apart from some examples, which, you know, mm. um, are perhaps are hopefully one swallow. But anyway, Aurelian, do you have a view as well? Uh, yeah, I think the answer is yes. Uh, and there are two, maybe two sub answers to that, uh, which is um, uh, first uh, tying up to a point that Janie was mentioning right at the beginning, which is uh, some local authorities are 
um, are kind of have an agenda. They're kind of pushing, um, pushing to try to make um, uh, make improvements to their their street, also the way that their infrastructure is being is being uh, mapped currently. Um, sadly, I think some of these are are um, uh, probably. I mean, I don't want to be too harsh because I know it's it's a massive job, but it, it's just not happening, you know, fast enough, or it's not tangible enough. So I think some of these authorities, although they they clearly have an agenda, apart maybe as developers, but let's not call it just developers, as private private businesses, um, it's it's it, it is still difficult to come in and then um, you know fulfill that demand that could be there because you feel like it's you you're not speaking the same language, um, and and it's and it's hard to to work together. Um, I mean, we end up doing it with some local authorities and. Um, councils across the UK, but it's it definitely demands a lot of you know time, energy, and and um, uh, and thinking. Um, and then the second sub answer to that, that's not too complicated as a novel answer, uh, is that um, uh, absolutely yes. Because when I was uh, starting to work on CADWorks, uh, actually this one, we we looked into some of the statistics, and then and then. Uh, Came up this one that uh, uh, I think it was uh, I can't remember who did the uh, the survey, but um, if you were to go in the street and just ask everyone out there who wants to cycle to work, um, you have um, fifty percent more women would want to cycle to work than men. When you look at all the facilities that you have in 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 buildings, uh, the split is usually seventy thirty, but the other way around. So seventy percent is really male dedicated, and thirty percent is only. Uh, women dedicated because um, because uh, women would want to do more, but they can't because the infrastructure is not there and because they don't feel security is a, is a, is a key issue for them to cycle. So I think you have the demand there, which is clearly there, but it's completely subdued because the infrastructure is not ready. Um, so I, I think as local authorities will push that, the, the demand will really follow. The demand is already there. You give me a great line to um, bring Andrew in then, um, Royalian. Um, with the infrastructure not there and you know you're really wanting to do it instantly <laughs> sort of thing so i don't want you to sort of do your piece yet andrew but um do you have a view on this bit about um demand supply because you know, I yeah, don't know I, <clears throat> how you've how, what you've come across yourself i do um i've cycled in hong kong tokyo and london uh, for work right so um i've got a bit of uh, an idea of how is where's friendly, where's not friendly. To me, um, I think uh, going to demand that Aurelian touched on, um, from my own experience is if it is encouraged, if, if you've got the facilities there, you build it, they will come. Um, so, you know, uh, I understand sort of Briam or, the, you know, the sort of, let's say the, the regulations or whatever you want to call it, the template for how many people out of a workforce will actually cycle to work. You know, provision is meant to be around 10%. But I've worked in, in two of those cities where at times 40% of um, our desks were cycling in. And, you know, it was about having, having the provision. Yet in the same place, I've been at, a, at different firms where there wasn't any provision and no one cycled in. And, you know, you're talking like for like, um, you know, type of people. Um, so my, my, my question is, you can say there's no demand um, if you're not providing something. 
You, you mean um, some people think they can judge demand based on the supply that exists there, which is a bit of a yeah. crazy economic argument, isn't it? But, um, yeah. So, so Andrew, why don't you, because I know you've got a couple of slides, um, why do you just tell us about your experience today? Okay, so um, I've, I've always worked uh, in financial firms, for financial firms, investment banks, actually, um, primarily in the city. I've been cycling into London 15 miles for 10 plus years. Um, the, the biggest, so what happened to me was I was uh, moving shops and I was talking to two different firms, uh, same package, opportunity, et cetera. One had cycling provision and the other was, um, you know, sort of sort it out yourself. Um, so I joined the one that had the cycling provision um, and fantastic facilities, okay? Um, everything's good. Um, I get there, I talk to HR sort of a week in after all the induction stuff. Um, hey, can I have a, can have a bike parking space. Um, yeah, you can, but there's a 14 month waiting list. Um, so the lockers were oversubscribed. You couldn't get a locker. They didn't even bother having a waiting list anymore. Um, changing rooms were fantastic. Drying rooms, excellent. Um, but what they had to do was, um, they had made some temporary provision. I mean, you can kind of work it out yourself. If people are average taking 25, 25 days holiday a year, you know, a certain amount of your workforce is not in every day. So they were able to utilize some of those spaces um, uh, for people who were on the waiting list. Um, the only problem was it was, you had to apply, you had to write an email Sunday night after midnight, and it was five, um, sorry, one week in advance for a week, okay? And they were usually all gone by uh, 12.05, okay? So five minutes after midnight. If you And you couldn't put it on a timer because we didn't have timed emails, right? So there was no way to, to sort of treat the system. You had to stay up mid midnight on a Sunday to get yourself done a week in advance. Um, so we were sort of thinking, uh, me and my brother were like, there's gotta be something here that we can do. So is there something that we can take? Um, two seconds, I just, hey, can you take boss? Um, there's, there's got to be something that we can, we can do. Can you take Alex? Uh, there's got to be something that we can do. Uh, let's get, see if we can get, uh, you know, like a, a space that was maybe a, a garage or storage or something like that, see if we can convert it. And the example I've got is a place in the Barbican. Um, so we had a look here, we went down there, it looked like a, an old garage workshop. It had waste, water. Um, it was literally just a concrete floor. It was pretty messy, it pigeon nets in the top. And uh, we said, look, can we put some showers and stuff in here and put some bike racks and, and rent off you? Came back uh, from the landlord, you've got three years max and anything you do, I wanna put back as is now. Okay, so the dilapidation costs, it wasn't gonna be worth us investing, dilapidation costs were gonna be nasty. And you're like, 
there's no point to this. They, let's let's think of something else. What sort of so, year was this, Andrew? Yeah, uh, 2014. So um, we uh, so we thought we've got to make it. We, we need to to protect our investment, right? I know it's just shares and lockers, but um, and and the racks. So we thought we've got to make it portable. We started looking at um, containers and stuff, you know, to thinking that they could move them. Box Park was up the road. So that was sort of the, the inspiration. Um, we learned that basically upcycled containers, you can't move them after you've adapted them. Um, so we started, uh, we actually talked to some modular building companies and the, we took a look at the anti-vandal uh, buildings and we thought, well, they can move those, you know, they've got like 20 years life on a construction site. Um, maybe that's something that we can use. So we, we sort of put some renders together. I mean, the first render George has got, um, if you can show that slide, if not. If not. Okay. okay. So it, as you can see, it's, it looks a little bit um, containerish. Um, so we, we put this out, um, Part of it was to try and get some some land, and we thought, you know, if we could put pressure on some landlords, you know, sort of feel that there is a demand there, something might happen. Um, it got retweeted by um, Sarah Jane on uh, Sky, and it got picked up by Cycling Weekly, who then did an interview with us. Um, that got published, and. Uh, one of the head surgeons at New South Glasgow Hospital uh, saw it in Cycling Weekly and told his head of facilities to give us a call. Um, so I get a call on, on a Saturday afternoon at a barbecue. I can remember it vividly. And uh, this chap says to us, um, New South Glasgow Hospital, we just had a new hospital built, really like uh, this idea, would you build them for us? And uh, it was like, um, it wasn't really the plan, but we will do now. Um, so that's how we, we, we then thought, right, they're, they're, other people are seeing that there's, there's a reason to have this. Um, so we, uh, we built a demonstrator and we tweeted that. Jason Bradbury off the Gadget Show saw it. Um, he, but he, he hit me up first and said, hey, does this actually exist? And I, said, I told him yes. And he retweeted it and then, um, a site director uh, from GE Healthcare uh, saw it on, on his uh, thread and told us to come in for a chat. And uh, it's great the power of social media in this, isn't it? It seems your Twitter is yeah, at the center of something. Um, and Andrew, how long does something like this get to um, you know, be from start to finish at prox? Okay, well, we can build it in 12 weeks. Right. Um, and you Which links back to that earlier conversation in a way about you know if there isn't the um, infrastructure now build it and we can you could potentially in some places do it quite quickly yeah yeah i mean it's, it's definitely a retro um solution uh, we get that uh so but we think it because it's a, it's sort of pocket size we only do things in like three sizes so there's only three choices etc um but it's more it's, it's not going to cater for more than i mean if you look at, that's the bike store there on the right. In that bike store, you've got 56 uh, bike parking spaces. 
And that's roughly uh, in six car parking spaces. And why, Andrew, do you think this is particular to the, let's call it the health um, market? Because a, a lot of what you've done has been on hospital sites, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yes, we've, well, actually, uh, it's about, uh, it's slightly more on the, the hospital sites, but we also, we did uh, GSK and Telefonica as well. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, I think um, in, in t for the hospitals and that they, they get it. They really, I mean, anyone who's, who goes, who's seen their local hospital, there's always a, a car parking issue, right? Um, but how, how can you expect the staff um, not to drive if, if, if they can't park their, their bikes? And, and one of the things that we, we do know is there, there are issues. The general public can walk on a hospital site, right? And it's very easy for them to have access to, to most areas. So, you know, there is a lot of bike theft. So it makes sense that if you're not providing something that's safe, um, you know, if it's kind of like a, a bit of roulette, whether your bike's gonna be there when you wanna go home in the evening, um, that's, that has been an issue. So I think you raise a, a really good point, <clears throat> Andrew, in relation to visitor parking here. So, you know, the point's been made that, you know, quite a lot of yours is, let's call it public space. So I wonder if, Jenny and Ray have got a view about this. If we say that you know, originally this was, you know, when we when we started on this journey, it was let's say um, exclusive parking. Um, it was in office buildings. It was for tenants and for the users. Uh, do you now think that people are thinking beyond that? So they're thinking just beyond that building into the public realm. Um, and I can come back with something afterwards, but I'd like your views first, Andrew. Sort of, you know, given us the sort of link to this in a way. Ladies first, already, unless you want to jump in. No, no. Okay, well, I'm going to go then. Um, uh, I think it goes beyond that. Then, uh, effectively, just the uh, you know inside the building and and this private private area, as you said. I mean, this is the easy answer. You would expect me to probably say that, but the reason why I I, I say that is that uh, um, is that one there is you can see you know big developers going back to you know what I know best, but um, investment managers, asset managers, developers that are owning large pieces of, of land or real estate of or almost kind of neighborhoods. Um, uh, you would know some, you know, some names in, in London, for instance, that would kind of control several buildings, um, find, find it much better uh, and easier, and actually they become much more relevant to try to curate this whole space as a, as a full regeneration space area rather than having just the one building. So the, the, what, what it gives you is that you can effectively start to play with what is inside the building, what's you know, classified as being private, with the space which is in between buildings, which is you know, public, how these, how these buildings will, in, will interact with each other, how people will go, will move from one side to the other. Um, you see how the you know, Regen Street area has been, uh, has, been, has been done and reworked in terms of where the pedestrians can go, where cyclists could go, where um, you know, pavement can be enlarged and how buildings can be refurbished in between. So for big developers that, that own all of that, it's, it's, it's absolutely fundamental to think about you know, what is the space uh, which, which will allow people to get their, uh, to their private, private area, which would be working area, this basement in the building, but also outside so you know which when you go to the shops or when you go in between buildings um the challenge therefore is for smaller developers like us uh when we have the one building um and we see that we're currently investing in 
refurbishing, repositioning buildings in London, Glasgow, I mentioned, but also Bristol. Um, uh, we've, um, uh, we're lo looking into Birmingham, Manchester very much, where we have a uh, we have a building up there. So this one single isolated building, this is much more challenging to try to make it blend into the, the public realm. So you control about two meters of pavement surrounding that building. So what are you going to do with it? You're going to start to maybe put some some hoops, like cycle hoops outside. Yeah, okay, that's you know it's a good side, but is that going to really change dramatically everything? No, probably not. Um, so what we've done in Manchester, we've we've um, we've got push scooters in the basement. So it's a fleet of push scooters which are branded um, Wheelmill Green, which is the name of our scheme. There, they've been made. They are Swifty scooters. So they've been made by local business. It's a husband and wife business, which is getting quite a lot of exposure now. Um, so you're tapping into that local community. You're giving your users, end users, your tenant occupiers, uh, the means that they need to do what they have to. So going to a meeting on the other side of the Manchester city centre with grabbing for free just one of the, the push scooters. Um, then the brand of the building is on the, that push scooters is getting out. So it's brilliant for us. We don't need to charge anything. It, does, it doesn't cost almost anything in the grand scheme of, of that development. Um, but then you start to blend the inside, the outside, the public, the private, um, and you and you address some needs. So I think, yes, I mean, it's absolutely critical to think about that. The other thing, for instance, that we've done is we have a specific um, and very strategic partnership with Brampton, where we have outside of a few of our buildings, we have a rental uh, pod, if you want. So you've got big lockers where you have Brampton folding, folded bikes, uh, which are also branded to the, the schemes, to windmill green bikes. And we give our occupiers um, a, a code that they can just go and, and unlock their Brompton bikes and keep them for one, two, three days a week if they want, and they just pay as they go. So these are these are just simple ways, and they, they, they almost don't cost anything um, to make it, it more. It seems better. to me that you're embracing the whole micro mobility agenda, which is you know yeah. part of the active travel agenda. Um, Jenny, do you want to add either from a sort of examples you might have or a view you might have, either or both? Um, yeah, I mean, I think everybody across the development industry is being encouraged to think beyond the red line boundary, um, whether that's a, a single building or, or, or a site. You know, we all have to knit into wider infrastructure and, you know, drive councils to use our Section 106 or our SIL monies in the appropriate fashion to, to, to get what we need for the communities we're creating or the, the, the work premises we're delivering. So I think absolutely we have to think beyond the building. But what I think is really interesting about what Oriel said and, and Andrew is the way and what we've seen on the meter trips um, over the years is the way that this is now being celebrated. You know, the, the idea that the branding and, and the fact that we're looking after our health and well-being of our employees and our workplace or our communities and our new communities or regeneration projects, whatever, we're shouting about it because it's such an important part of what we're trying to deliver. It's such an important part of ESG that Melissa was talking about. And, and, and so it does come front and centre and, and, and that's, that's right. So it's, it's going to get louder and it's going to get more, you know, spilling out onto the street and bigger because it's to everyone's benefit that it does. Um, which is just a personal observation, but I think it's really, really interesting to see how that has shifted massively. It's not that crappy back door anymore. You know, it's really big branded logos, you know, celebrate what we're delivering and how we're delivering it. Quite so I know, we, I know we, most of us here, in a sense, celebrate, as, as you said, but perhaps it goes back to what Aurelian said earlier, which is he's not a cycling specialist, um, but, you know, he's embracing um, that active travel agenda within 
real estate, which is what we've been saying for a little while, but you know, it, it's part of the whole picture, really. And and, do you, and if, uh, if if I can, Neil, just uh, just add very briefly, uh, because I think um, something that Jenny's mentioning is uh, the, the fact that now it's it's all being celebrated. Uh, I think one of the, the the recent realization I just had it happens, you know, every now and then. Um, but the latest one is that people people on a personal level, people have always got quite excited about some of the things, like for instance, a green wall, um, you know, the push scooters good cycling facilities. I mean, like as a, on a personal level, as an individual, when you walk into a space where you see all of these, um, like beehives, for instance, all of these kind of sustainability and more um, personal touches, you get, you feel good. You feel good about the place. Like this is, you know that this is the right thing to do. But so far, and I'd say probably like until, you know, two years ago, one year ago, uh, we can debate a little bit, but the, the decision and the process that was behind this, these individuals, which was more driven by you know, companies and corporates, and was not was not uh, paying attention to that. That was not part of the of the, 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 the list, effectively. So the person was saying that looks great. Unfortunately, what I need is a 600 by 600 suspended ceiling, and I need this kind of lighting. But now, what has changed is that companies are speaking the same language as uh, their staff. So everyone gets very excited. Everyone is very excited and saying. Oh, we absolutely need to have top quality showers. Like this is absolutely yeah. a requirement. Aurelia, yeah. we, I, 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 we, um, we didn't rehearse this, but we have a poll question, which right. relates to um, the amount of active travel that um, people on the call might be moving towards. Um, I, I, I call it post lockdown rather than post COVID because we're going to be living with COVID. So I don't know if um, uh, um, uh, Sarah can put that up, excellent. Um, so if people wouldn't mind um, uh, dealing with that poll whilst we uh, come to, sadly, um, towards a, a conclusion, really. Um, not yet. Not yet. Don't worry. Um, so um, what I'm going to sort of try and wrap up with is almost, and I haven't thought of this this way, but I have now, is a link question to our next session, which is going to be the rest of the world. So Jenny talked about um, the United States earlier. I wonder in you know, your businesses and, and what you're doing, um, where you've taken inspiration from. And please don't say the Netherlands first, um, but you're allowed to um, if you don't get another one. Right now, I'm sure we'll be able to reference other, other countries. And obviously, Andrew's mentioned Hong Kong and elsewhere as well. So um, I'm going to let Jenny go first. Definitely ladies first this time, Remy. No worries. Um, so I think uh, chatting to the guys that delivered Pendleton, which I was talking about earlier, it was, it was Paris that was inspiring them there. Um, because of the kind of green infrastructure delivery combined with cycling um, infrastructure, which is something Paris has very come to very late potentially, but it's it's getting quite excited about over the last, particularly the last six to eight months. So they've been looking at that quite closely. Um, they've also looked at, at, at some in the UK. There, there's some stuff in Waltham Forest that looks really cool that they, that they got really excited about as well. So um, you know there is stuff in, within the UK, but um, I think it's Paris, and I and I would say the Netherlands. That that picture that did come up um, for for Pendleton was the Netherlands. Sorry. No, no, you don't need to apologise. And um, you know we will be going to the Netherlands at some point on this tour, so that's great. Um, Andrew, I look forward to that one. Can I go? Uh, you can, you can, and um, you can bring your retour mug as well. Um, so um, Andrew, any other um, countries that have inspired cities or countries that have inspired um, your business? Yeah, um, we've actually had inquiries um, from all over, um, from Asia through to the US, um, particularly California recently. Um, in 
in this, I've actually seen, I've cycled from Denver to Boulder, Colorado, um, and understand that people do that regularly as a commute. Uh, you know, so- How far is that? I'm, I'm, I will have to check with one of my guys, but I think it's about uh, 25 miles. That's a serious commute. It's a serious commute, but there's nothing in your way. And, you know, you're, you're right beside the highway and the traffic is, um, you can see all the traffic there. And, the, you know, it's, it's, it's a great route. It's well lit, um, linking two centers. Um, what's there not to like? Uh, but from our point of view, I'm kind of surprised that we have seen this interest from, from the US, you know, in the product and, and elsewhere. Uh, Germany as well. Um, are the two sort of standouts of the inquiries that we get beyond um, the UK. So clearly it is a demand that is, um, is, is getting more global. I mean, I, I've only named three countries, so I can't really say it's global, but certainly um, it is, there, there is something there. There is something that needs to be addressed. People do want to move around. People do want to get out of their cars. Um, and burn off some energy. So, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad you think so. Um, Aurelian, and um, we're, I'm gonna take a license here. I think we've got enough people interested. We're gonna have another question after this, but go on Aurelian, um, yeah, without, yeah, being uh, biased, without being biased, without being biased, which countries? Not, not at all. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm half British, so you never know what I could say, but yeah, there's a great question by the way in the Q&A, so I hope that's the one you pick. Um, uh, no, I would say uh, I would say that actually, in terms of sustainability, the wider sustainability agenda, because as I said, like there is a you know mobility for us is part of the wider system. Um, you know, there are countries like Germany or or, or France um, which have different, um, which are more advanced in very specific areas, and you want to look at look at, at these uh, either it's certifications or um, or specific buildings uh, where they're using new technologies and. Uh, new ways of of um, uh, of making the buildings kind of come together. Uh, landscaping as well is quite quite a quite a big topic uh, when you think about mobility. So these are these are in Europe countries where there are great things happening. But I would say the, like we get influenced by what's happening within the UK. Uh, it's just that we don't necessarily look at you know what's happening in terms of cyc cycling and facilities and mobility in the UK. But we we try to think about other things. For instance, we see. Um, some technology being applied somewhere um, in uh, in a building in Birmingham, and we would try to start to think about okay, how can we use this technology to implement it in our buildings to improve the um, the user experience. So you know, small small chips, for instance, sensors that can tell you you just stick it to uh, every single cycling racks, and then you can you can have a dashboard that tells you live. How many, how many of these racks in the facilities in the basement are available or, or used? And then you put that on a, uh, on a building management app, for instance, it can tell you, okay, today, you know, to avoid Andrew's nightmare of you know, midnight email, you have a live feed that says, I can park there, I can use that shower, here's my locker, this is my code. So we're more thinking about like, let's look at what's in the UK, there's plenty going on, but how do you bring it all together? So, um, no, excellent point. And um, I, I could add more to it, but we haven't had enough time. So um, the last question is going to be a sort of paraphrase of uh, James Partridge's question. So he sort of said that um, there has been this sort of culture war 
um, where it's the sort of motorist versus the active travelist. And we all think that's unhelpful, don't we? So uh, what do the panel think about this phenomenon, how it's best tackled to stop it getting out of control? Um, I think we've had a bit of language in our discussion where we haven't touched upon this, but um, any views? I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna let Jenny go first. I, I do have quite a strong view on this one actually, um, and I and I do think it's 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 really unhelpful how it does descend into that. But I think one of the big things that I've learned from our designers across the business is if you design stuff properly and well, there is much less friction on 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 controversial issues. And this is one of them. I had a good chat with our landscape designers and master planners last week um, about this very issue particularly relating to Pendleton, where you know, you're know you creating a low traffic, a low speed street, um, you're, you're stopping a rat run, you're, um, you're delivering residential, therefore the, the residents are happy, but the rat run drivers are unhappy. Um, how do you deal with that conflict? And the main thing, the, the discussions that they've had through all their engagement have been, if you deliver something that is of high quality in, in its place, you're able to get over those um, that disen disenfranchised driver a lot easier. So if you stick a shitty bollard, excuse my language, in the middle of the road, they're unhappy because there's nothing of quality being delivered. If you put a nice green space that is going to benefit anybody who looks at it, never mind gets to sit at it and, and participate in it, um, you're going to get a much softer and easier sell and because it feels like it's been done for a reason and it's delivered something of quality. Um, and so I think it is about thinking really carefully about what we're changing and what, how we're demonstrating the quality or how we're delivering quality within that change. So we're not just doing something and making it look crap. We're doing it really, really well. And we're delivering something that benefits lots and lots of people um, beyond those residents and beyond those, those people who now gain from having a cycle route that's, that's safer and, and greener or whatever it may be. Yeah. And I think that's really important because it's the only way we're going to get over this kind of like, you know, dis disagreement. We're all cyclists and drivers. We know what it's like on both sides. And, and, you know, it's a very difficult challenge, but I do think quality is one of the big responses to it. Yeah, and we'll pick up on some of your um, technical terms that you use there uh, to describe the quality <laughs> um, in, the, in the glossary, perhaps as a follow-up. Um, I'm going to give Andrew the, the next um, opportunity and then um, Aurelian will be our last panellist's uh, talk. Um, I think... Over the time since I started cycling, I've definitely seen behavior um, improve. And I think the biggest thing has been awareness. Um, we used to joke, um, we, so my route was from the city um, out to Gidea Park. So I'm going through East London, I'm going through Stratford. Um, there's some areas which are a little bit tasty at 5.30 in the morning. Um, You're using terminology, technical terminology as well. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, you can. Um, the I th the point is that when I first did this, there were certain cars, let, let alone drivers. There was a type of car. I mean, if you saw a Nissan Micra, I you seriously took your life in your hands because you knew that person just didn't care, right? And it's not that they didn't care about you; it's just they didn't. But be they careful. Didn't there are careful drivers driving Nissan Micras as well. I'm sure they are. Um, and new ones are nicer. Um, but seriously, they, I, I, you know, full disclosure, I got T-boned by one, um, got a breakthrough, a, a straight breakthrough in my elbow. Um, so yeah, it's a little bit personal. Um, but uh, after that, I, and, and seriously, 
I can say that about uh, microdrivers now, uh, uh, 10 years on or whatever it is, um, purely because I think the, the education that was done, the awareness that was done with the, the cycle lanes going in around Stratford, now there was a huge amount of investment, right? We know that for the Olympics. And so things were done well. Um, there was money thrown at it. There was money thrown at the education, I, I think, as well, um, because those, the same types of drivers were far more aware. And in fact, it got to a stage where it's actually more dangerous being in um, cycling around the city at times than it was uh, cycling, say, from, uh, you know, Bethnal Green through to uh, Stratford. So I'm glad, Andrew, that you think that, um, uh, uh, let's say, awareness and, and considerate driving and cyclists has improved. What I do like as well, given we've used the phrase micro-mobility, I thought I heard you say micro-drivers as well, but I don't think you did say that. So I'm going to let Aurelian have the last word. Fans of um, Ideas with Biz will know what the last word is and who does that, but Aurelian has it from the panellists today. Right. Um, well, because uh, I wouldn't be able to add anything more relevant to uh, what Andrew and Jenny have said, and I agree with that. Uh, I may go rogue need here, and um, uh, because I see that there is a question from Steve in the Q and A, which is great, uh, which is um, you know about existing stock and new build, and I think that's absolutely critical. So I wouldn't be able to sleep if I don't touch on that tonight. But um, Cadworks or building in Glasgow is a new build, and as Steve is mentioning, this is dead easy. This is really really easy to make sure that you. Um, you know, have the right space uh, and, and put up the right infrastructure. It doesn't cost anything. I've just mentioned that again, because this is the argument that you keep on having again and again and again about, you know, rather having, you know, traditional, you know, car park spaces maybe versus showers. And um, it, it is not true. I think when you have a blank canvas, you can literally do anything with a bit of design and, um, and, and kind of good, uh, good thinking about how the space would be used. So that's absolutely easy. Um, the great thing is that so at four, we really signed up to the idea of retro first. So we're going to go and retain existing structure first and try to avoid as much as possible building up new things. So for instance, the basement and the, the new build of Cadworks is an existing basement. That's one that we've retained from uh, the, pre the previous building that was on top of it. Um, and we've, refu we've refused to build two basement of car park spaces that had been consented. So the, the planners have said, yeah, you can do that. We said, no, we are not. We're going to you know, buy this site. We're going to change everything and make it more relevant. So Steve's got a great point. 90% of the stock, which is here today, is going to be here in you know, 10, 20, 30 years. So everyone is committing like us to net zero carbon by 2025, 30, 35, even 50, has to think about the existing stock right now. How do you make it work? It's more challenging. But it's definitely possible. So Windmill Green in Manchester is a good example. We only could squeeze in 44 cycling racks because we didn't have more space to play with. But as I said, we did the push scooters in the reception area. Uh, we have also shared facilities on the rooftop with a pavilion which is free, free to use. Uh, and we have this, uh, this pod, the Brampton pod outside. So there are ways where you, you just need to spend a bit more time um, and a bit more brain brain damage and sessions of kind of you know challenging a little bit your team your pm your qs your architects uh, to come together with something a bit more relevant so thanks uh, thank you steve for the for the question and i Sorry. think it's a great way to end that um, we need to have some brain damage in order to um, create better uh, projects so i've, I've loved the conversation 
um, with all of you. I'm even more looking forward to delivering your um, retour mug personally, <laughs> um, uh, providing you don't live in Scotland. Um, I did it for the London crew. I really don't know where you live, but um, I will be coming round. Um, so, Melissa, would you like to, um, to wrap up? Thank you so much to all of our panel for your time and your input. It's been so interesting listening. And um, the sessions so far we've had have been about individual buildings and the fit out, and that's been really interesting in a detailed way, hearing sort of the life cycle from planning to investment and then through to kind of the modular construction. Yeah, and it's been actually, I mean, I get a little bit nerdy about this stuff anyway, but I thought it was fascinating. So I so hope that all the audience did as well. And I'm really excited to see how we can do a little bit more of the testing things and trying it out, because I think that's so key to kind of the world at the minute and just giving it a go. So um, it was great to hear hear about that and all of your thoughts. Um, thank you to everyone who is still on the webinar and who has been listening. It has been lovely to have you here and I hope that you found it interesting. Um, I'm glad that questions did get answered, Steve. I'm sorry to was right at the end, but um, thank you for asking questions. If you have liked it, please kind of tell your friends on social media. We are on LinkedIn and there is the Twitter. The next session will be on the rest of the world on the 29th of April. It'll be an earlier time of 9am and uh, we should be having guests from Australia, America and Japan. So I'm really excited about that one. Um, it'll be a real kind of broadening of horizons literally so um, I hope that you will come to it and um, the link to the next one will appear in the chat um, as we close down and there should be slides available and right up on the website um, so thank you so much um, have a lovely evening and uh, thank you everyone for your time <laughs>